Well, good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to our worship service, and I want to thank you for coming. And I want to welcome all of those who are watching online. What a joy it is to have you joining us here this morning. And our prayer is someday, maybe wherever you may be, we could all gather together. We know that if that doesn't happen here on earth, it's going to happen in heaven, and we look forward to that day, don't we? I just want to remind all of you again, last week I did a message on hospitality, so I want to remind you of the 10-foot rule and the three-minute rule. When you leave today, you're going to see the word serve on every door handle that you place your hands. Let's take seriously what God has called us to be. And so if you're a guest here today, we especially want to welcome you. We want to thank you for coming. And we know that you have choices to make and you've chosen to worship with us today. Immediately following the service, we might ask that you might go to the guest center there. If you have questions, we'd love to answer those questions, but we know that you have decisions to make. And if you were looking for a church home, we're praying that you might make Central Community your permanent church home. We know you won't be disappointed. Well, there's still time to sign up for a life group if you haven't, and today we begin a brand new series, and I'm really excited about this series. We've done a lot of work. In fact, we did all of the filming actually out in Colorado, so it's going to be an awesome experience, and so I just want to invite you that if you're not in a life group, get two or three of your friends, stick the DVD in the, in the, in the, in the TV and, and watch and then have a discussion. It's not that hard, but I promise you, you're going to grow. Well, today as we begin this series, you're going to get a lot of information, but I promise you it won't be overload because all of this information is very important for you to understand what God is wanting to say to you. And church, I need you to hear this. God has a message for you today. God gave us his word so that we could read his word and we can use it as examples for how we are to live our lives today. And I think that as we go and move through this story of, of, of Elijah, you're going to see a lot of similarities. So let's learn from their mistakes, shall we? But let's also be diligent about implementing in our lives those things that God is impressing upon us to do. Now, our story that we're about to go into takes place about 860 years before Jesus walked on the earth. You need to understand is that this is one of Israel's darkest times. And the reason that it's a dark time for this nation is because this nation has walked away from God. The nation of Israel had been torn in two. It has been about 58 years since the nation has been torn in two. You remember that after Solomon's reign, the nation was divided into two nations. There is Israel that made up the 10 tribes, that's one nation, and then there's Judah that had, was made up of the other two tribes. Our focus for this story is on the nation of Israel. Since Solomon, there had been seven kings, and all of them were wicked. In fact, the Bible tells us that these leaders were so bad that every king that succeeded the king before him, the Bible says, was worse than the one that was before him. Now, there are a couple of things that you need to understand as we go into this series, and the first one happened under the leadership of the very first king. His name was Jeroboam. Now remember that last week that I shared with you that it was custom 
that the men, that the families of Israel, they would go to Jerusalem and they would celebrate the festivals. Remember? We talked about the Passover and the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths. Well, Jeroboam didn't like that idea. He didn't like it that his people were going to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was in Judah. It would kind of be like a pastor saying, I don't want you going to a concert at another church. I'm afraid that you might join that church. That's what's happening. And so you know what Jeroboam did? The gall of this leader, he made two golden calves. He set up one in Bethel and the other one at Dan. And then he gathered the people of Israel, and this is what he told them. These are your gods who delivered you out of Egypt. Can you believe it? And from that time on, you know what the people did? They went to Dan and they went to Bethel to worship rather than going to Jerusalem. But as bad as that was, that wasn't nearly as bad as what he did next. Do you remember that in the beginning God said, my priests will come from the tribe of Levi. Do you remember that? These were God's called spiritual leaders. You know what Jeroboam did? He got rid of that rule. And he started calling men from all different tribes, all different lands to come and to lead the people of Israel in spiritual issues. This my friends, angered the Lord. And so one of the things that you can actually say is that the problem of Israel began in the church. It began in the leadership of the church. And here's why. Because men were leading God's people that were not called by God. Well, that kind of brings us up to where we are now in our story. And there's a couple details that I want you to know. There's a king in charge, and his name is Ahab. He's a bad man. But even worse than that is that he's married a queen, and her name is Jezebel. We're going to learn a lot more of them in the future. But I want to go back to God's word, and I want you to understand what the atmosphere is like under their leadership. Hold on to your seats. Here we go. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Here's the next one. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. So let me just kind of tell you what's happened here. There's no more worship of Almighty God in all of Israel. I just want that to sink in. There is no more worship of Almighty God in Israel. And you know who is now leading the people? The prophets of Baal. Now as bad as that is, there's one more thing that took place that really kind of tipped the jar over. I'm going to go back to the book of Joshua where God states what his command is. Look at what it says. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. Pretty clear, right? 
crystal clear in fact, right? Watch what happens. In Ahab's time, did you see that? In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid his foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Is there any grosser way to defy God than what is taking place among the children of Israel? This was a slap in the face to the Lord Almighty. My friends, the kings have silenced the people. They have silenced the prophets. And there is no word of the Lord in the land. It seems like Satan is winning, doesn't it? I'm going to say that again. It appears as though Satan is winning. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. This is God's word for God's people. I hope today you hear it and you live in his obedience. Let's pray. Father, may we always know, no matter how bad it appears, your word will live forever. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Something strange happens in scriptures at this particular point. You know what it is? We're introduced to somebody that we have nothing and we know nothing about. All of a sudden in 1 Kings chapter 17, we're introduced to this man by the name of Elijah. You know what we know about him? He's from Tishbe. So we would refer to him as Elijah the Tishbite. We don't know about his parents. We don't know anything about how he grew up. We don't even know where he was born. What's even interesting about this, if you think about this, because we already know the story, Elijah never died. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. That just makes him kind of strange, doesn't it? Reminds me a little bit of Melchizedek. He was a priest that we don't know anything about where he came from or when he died. But he was a representative of the Lord God. Elijah was brought up 
out of nowhere to represent the Lord God. But what do we know about him? Here's what we know about him. He was from Tishbe. Tishbe was in Gilead, and Gilead was part of the tribe of Manasseh. You know what we know about the people from Gilead? They were very rough, and they were very rugged. Now, I want to stop there for a second, and there's something in my mind that just kind of goes, ping! Elijah was one of the most popular prophets and the best-known prophets ever. He was so well-known that not only do we see him in the Old Testament, we also see him in the New Testament, right? In fact, on the Mount Transfiguration, Moses represented the law, and there's Elijah, and he represents what? He represents the prophets. I also want to remind you that Jesus talks about Elijah in the New Testament, does he not? He says, there is one who has come, who has come before me to prepare the way. He is the Elijah. Who was it? It was John the Baptist, right? Jesus tells us, indeed, Elijah has come, John the Baptist. And how was John the Baptist? He was rough and rugged, and he lived in the wilderness. Oh, that must be a coincidence. But there are some things that we do know about Elijah. In fact, if we do a little bit of research, here's what we learn about him. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So what do we learn about Elijah? The honor of God's name meant more to Elijah than anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, Elijah was a godly man. He was very upset with what Israel was doing and how they had defected from God. But even worse than that, he was angry at Ahab and Jezebel because they had led Israel astray. But my friends, let's be realistic. Who is Elijah? He's just one man. What could Elijah do? He was from a place that nobody even knew about. He had no seminary training. Nobody knew he would be. How in the world is he going to get in the presence of King Ahab? But he was upset at the fact of how God's people were being treated. And he was zealous for the Lord, the Bible says. In addition to that, you know what? I'll bet Elijah had Satan following him everywhere he could, whispering in his ear, you're nothing. God could never use someone like you. You're just out here in the middle of the wilderness. You stink even. How could God could use someone like you? Can anybody relate? Man, I raise my hand and I, I think, man, I can relate to that story. And I can't tell you how many times I hear different people, and this is what they say to me, Pastor Bob, I'm here, and I'm not sure why God has me here. Well, maybe this is the reason why. You know what Elijah did think, and he did know that there was something that he could do. There was one thing that he could do. And the Bible tells it what it is in James. Look at this, what it says here. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, okay? Here's what that simply means. That means Elijah was just like you and me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Did you hear that? It did not rain for three and a half years. You know what Elijah could do? Elijah could pray. 
Now, my friends, I want you to understand something, and I hope you hear me loud and clear. The most powerful thing that you can do is pray. I must say that again. The most powerful thing that you can do is pray. Our problem is, is we have to see the results of our prayer, but you need to understand and be okay with the fact that you will not see the majority of results until you are called home to be with your Lord and Savior. And then you're going to have an aha moment. But here's why I want you to understand about the importance of prayer. Don't ever forget this. Our prayers said in private are our source of power in public. Wow. Do you understand that? What you do in the privacy of your prayer closet, what you do on your knees when it's just you and God and nobody else hears what you do in those places, God will display that strength in public. My dear friends in Christ, please don't think there's nothing you can do. The lesson we learned from Elijah is that when I get on my knees, I am powerful. So, Elijah goes to King Ahab. Can you believe that? Here's Elijah traveling to go see the king. Lord, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say, but I know you're going to give me the words. And he goes before the king, and he stands before him, and he delivers the message. And here's what he says to the king, and this is what the Bible tells us. King Ahab, because of what you have done, because of your leadership, there will be no rain or dew in the land except at my word. Now, I want you to understand something. This would have ticked Ahab off. You know why? Because there had already been six months of the famine. Ahab was already nervous. The people were already beginning to rubble. There was no rain. And now what Elijah says was this. Not only will there not be rain, there will be no dew. You see, there were two sources of rain, or two sources of of moisture in those days. One was from the rain that God brought, and the second was from the moisture that descended from the heavens in the evening. It watered the crops. Do you realize what Elijah just said? He gave the king a death sentence. He gave the king a death sentence. No more rain. No one can live without water. Now, why don't you just think about something for a moment? Why did... God send Elijah to the king? Why didn't he send him to the people? That's one of the questions I had. You know what the answer to that question is? I found out because the king is the only one who could undo what had been done wrong. So here's my question to you, and I want you to understand this and hear this loud and clear. So where were the people in all of this? What were their feelings? You know what the people thought about God? They thought he was dead. The people thought God was dead. You know why? Because they knew their sinful acts that they had been living, and God had not punished them. So they thought he was dead. Oh, my dear friend in Christ, it's not because God has dead that God, that your sin has not found you out. It's because God is long-suffering and he's giving you every opportunity to come to him and repent. But there's no spiritual leaders. 
Now watch what happens next. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. How many of you would like a fresh word from God? Only 10 of us? I mean, don't you want to hear a fresh word from God? If you go in my office and on my mirror it says, fresh word from God. I need to hear from God. But I also found out that if I need to hear from God and I want to hear from God, there's some conditions with that. Did you know that? And Elijah understood those conditions. You know why Elijah got a fresh word of God? Because he had been obedient to the previous word God has given to him. You see, that's the kicker in it. If you want to hear a fresh word from God, you've got to be obedient to what God has already told you to do. Case in point, Abraham. If you go to Genesis chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11 and chapter 2, you will find out that the Bible says God had told Abraham. At those days, his name was Abram, and God told him, I want you to leave your land, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave everything, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Abraham got up, and guess what? He left, but he only got as far as Haran, and he parked. You know when God came to Abraham? When he had moved to the place that God had told him to go. This morning, I got a word from the Lord. You know what he told me? He said, Bob, I love you. You know how it happened? Here's how it happened. When I got this this morning, it was early in the morning, and I read my Bible, and then I looked at the Bible app, and my wife's been sharing me about this new devotion, and so I started listening to the devotion. And in there, there is a pastor from Indonesia. You can go and check on it. And the, uh, and the verse that he gave us was the verse that says, we love because God first loved us. Then this morning, I have a man, Art Clausen, you know him well. He sends me a Bible verse every single week before I preach. What do you think the verse was that God used him to send me today? You got it. We love, God loves us because, or we love him because he first loved us. You know what I learned? God was saying, I love you, Bob. In the Old Testament, whenever God spoke, there were three things that happened. Number one, they knew it was God. They knew what he, they were to do, and they knew what he had asked them to do. So here's what I want you to know. If God comes and speaks to you, he, you will know. So my question for you is, are you asking God to speak for you? To speak to you? Be obedient. Here's something else I read, and I thought this was very good. In the Lord's Prayer, you realize it says, thy will be done before it says, give us this day our daily bread. Obedience is the key. Here we go. We're going on with the story, okay? Leave here, God said, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine. Now, I want to just stop for a second. That word Kareth Ravine, you know what that word means? drought. Okay? Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed that the ravens to supply you with food there. Now, I just got to tell you, as I'm kind of reading through this, and God tells Abraham, I mean Elijah to go and hide in the brook, that word hide just didn't set right with me. And then I learned that in the New Testament, Jesus says that he went and hid himself so there had to be something more to this. 
What was God doing to Elijah? He just went into the presence of the king, and now God says, I want you to go to the Kareth brook, the drought brook, and I want you to hide there. Well, here's what I found out. Here's what you need to understand. Hide means absent thyself. Now, here it comes. Listen very carefully. So what was God telling Elijah to do? Here it is. Isolate yourself from evil. Isolate yourself from evil. Okay, Lord, I'm still not quite sure about what's happening, and here's what it is. What was God doing here? Here's what he was doing. God was removing his word from his people. Elijah was the only mouthpiece that was speaking at that time for God. And what did God do? He removed him. Look at what it says here in Isaiah. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. You see, God was telling him, this is one of the blessings. You will have the word. What is God doing here? He's telling him, you will have the word no more. He has hidden the word from the people. He has removed it. This is the worst punishment that the people could have had. Oh, and by the way, did you happen to know, did you happen to recognize where it was that God had sent Elijah? Did you happen to recognize where it was? The Bible tells us that the Kareth Brook was near the Jordan River. It literally means overlooking the Jordan River. Now, this is what I love about our God. When God asks you to do something, he's going to ask you to step out in faith, but he's going to always give you reasons why you can depend on him. When Elijah went to the Kareth Brook, what you need to remember is this was a place of faith, but it was also a place of peace. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. It overlooked the Jordan River. Every Jewish person knew that this is the place where God showed up, and he showed up big. This is the place where God split the waters of the Jordan in two, and the people walked on dry land. It was not far from where Elijah was, where the stones of remembrance were standing. This was the place that God said, I will be your God, and now we are moving forward, and we are taking the promised land. And Elijah now was in that land that God had promised. Here's what I want you to remember about this. Every servant that God chooses to use must pass through the trying experience of the Cherith Brook before he is ready for the triumph of Carmel. Joseph had to go through it. David had to go through it, Moses had to go through it, and Bob and Lori had to go through it. You remember when we were here and we were on staff here, and you know what? God was preparing us, we didn't know it, for something that was bigger than we could ever think or imagine. If you would have told me then someday God's going to call you back and you're going to be pastor at this church, I would have said, man, you've been smoking something. But before God could entrust us with that, he said, I'm sending you to Florida. I remember when we went to Florida, and we loved Florida, but from a person who's lived in the north and someone who has grown up in Kansas, it's a different world. 
And I can remember there were days when we looked at each other and we said, this is our wilderness experience. So what is it that God wants us to learn? And I want to tell you that God blessed our socks off. It was one of the greatest opportunities that we had, being on a campus with kids. We thought this is where God was placing us, and this is where we were going to stay. But God had other plans, and I just want to remind you, God has plans for you. When you think God has given you the very best, oh, he's got so much more in store for you. But we had to be obedient and go to Florida. And it wasn't for a day or two. It was for almost seven years. But while we were there, my friends, God blessed us. Let's go on. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And so one of the things that we know about Elijah is that he was not just a preacher of the word, he was a doer of the word. He didn't just preach it, he did it. Look what the scriptures say. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So here's what you can hold on to. What God has promised, he will do. Let's say that again. What God has promised, he will do. Let's say it again. What God has promised, he will do. What is it that keeps you from believing God's promises? The answer is fear. Fear is just everything appears real, right? False evidence appearing real, that's all it is. But what I've learned and what God has taught me recently is this, is that you know how you can better believe his commands? It's by this. If we would meditate on God's words and set God's word before us, set his promises before us, guess what? They would become more real. Look at what the Bible says here. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's what this means. When you do your quiet time, I know a lot of you may read five or six different books, five or six different devotions, and you know what? That's okay, but I want, to know, I want you to know this is what God wants you to do. It's not the quantity, it's the quality time. God wants you to eat his word. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is I want you to eat God's word. In other words, take this verse for it. This is a promise from God, and chew on it for two or three days. Everywhere you go, and my God will meet all my needs. Well, how are you going to meet my needs, Lord? I don't have a place to say. I don't have anything to need. But it says, according to the riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. And just chew on that. Over door. Lord, what are you saying? What do you mean by that? What are the riches? Just chew on it, and you watch and see what will happen. God will show up, and he will give you a fresh word, and he'll show you things that you never saw before, and you will know you've heard from God, just like Elijah did. Just like Elijah did. I have a promise here that I wanted just to share with you. It's from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 12, and it's verses, uh, or excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 and 13. Listen to these words. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, God is telling us, I'm not hiding from you. 
All I'm simply saying to you is, you got to come after me with all of your heart. Chew on those words for the next two or three days and watch and see how God shows up because here's what's going to happen, my friend. The time is going to come when you're going to need those promises. The time is going to come when you go through those difficult times and you're going to have to rely on God's word and that's how you do it, okay? We're almost done here, okay? And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. And then in verse 9, chapter 19, verse 8 says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So here's what I want you to know about this. What did God tell Elijah to do? He said, Elijah, I want you to go to the brook. I want you to go to the Kareth brook. But Elijah knew about Obadiah. And Elijah was aware that there were 7,000 others who had not bowed their knee to Baal. Elijah had it made. Why should I listen to God? Why would I go and do what God says? Why would I, I can go to Obadiah. And you know what? Obadiah's given them bread and water. I've got 7,000 people that I could go to, that I could visit them. I don't need to be obedient to God. I can do what is. But here's what I want you to remember about this. Here's what it is. God's ways are always best. Now look at this. It says, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Here's what I want you to remember about this. The Bible says that Obadiah fed the prophets. He fed them bread and water. But you remember what God did with Elijah? He fed him bread and water and meat. They didn't eat meat in those days every day. That was a delicacy. So not only did he get the bread and water, but he got also the meat. God's ways are always best. And so now we come to this, the last thing, and I want to close with this. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Hmm. Actually, in the Bible, it says, and it came to pass. You know what that word means? When the Bible says, and it came to pass, it basically came to pass, it basically means, and after the time had been fulfilled. In other words, what God is telling us in his word is this. After everything that I wanted to accomplish at the brook had been completed, the brook began to dry up. God wants to grow you in your faith. He's not going to allow you to stay where you are. Things are going to change. Nothing stays the same. And the same is true for Elijah. Can you imagine Elijah looking at that brook? Maybe he stuck a stick in there. Man, that water's getting lower and lower and lower. And I believe, and commentators say, that they believe that Elijah stayed there for months afterwards while the brook was dry. In other words, it was his test of faith. So this is what I want to say to you this morning as we close. My dear friends in Christ, what's your brook? What's your brook that God has said, I'm done with this now. Now I have something different for you. Are you going to believe me? Are you going to trust me by faith? Things have changed. They're not the same. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you lost your business. 
Maybe something happened that you didn't see coming in a relationship. Your brook is dried up. What is your brook that God has said, and it had come to pass. Now God is done with what he's doing here, and now he's ready to move you on to your next step. And that's what's happening in our church right now. God is testing us, and he's saying, okay, everything that you've done now is coming to an end. Now I've got something new for you. Are we going to have the faith to believe him and trust him? Or are we going to rely on what we know best? Remember, what is it that gets God's attention? It's faith. And Elijah demonstrated faith. And if Elijah can do it, the Bible says he was a man just like us. Guess what? So can you and I. By faith, we step out. By faith, we leave what God has told us to leave behind, and we look forward to what God is doing. And that only can happen when you view life through his eyes. That's what active faith is all about. It's viewing life. I doubt Elijah said, oh, poor's me. What did I do wrong? Oh, maybe I heard God wrong. No. He saw it from God's eyes, and he knew, my time is done here. Now it's time to move on. Life with God is never boring. He's always going to keep you thinking and trusting him because here's what he wants. He doesn't want us to trust in his blessings He wants us to trust in him. Amen? Amen. Do you receive God's word this morning? Let's give him a round of applause, shall we? Would you please stand?